Welcome to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is dedicated to helping people love Jesus and the people they encounter every day. Today, you will listen to our most recent Sunday sermon. So sit back, relax, and let Jesus speak to you wherever you may be. And now, this week's sermon. Sweet. Well, happy Memorial Day weekend. It's good to see you guys. You guys doing good? Sweet, man. It's good to see you guys. I'm excited to be here today. Hey, what's going on? How's it going? Uh, and uh, I'm excited to preach, uh, but also I love this community. Hopefully you guys can join us for our, uh, our June, like 4th of July weekend uh, park day. They're so much fun. They're like my absolute favorites. So, 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 so fun. Uh, and uh, I really, really enjoy those times. If it's your first time in this community, my name is Samuel. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at the Mountain, as well as Tim. And, uh, and I have a wife, I have four kids, and they're lovely. They're amazing kids. Brixton's eight, and then, it, and then I have three girls after that, Brightly, Presley, Monroe, and I love them very much. And I'm going camping with them this week, and we're going to climb, whether they like it or not, you know. And uh, no, it's going to be a good time to enjoy each other. And uh, some, of the, some of the sweet memories are, what's up, buddy? Oh, dude, thank you so much. I was wondering how long I was going to trip over that. I really appreciate that, Josh. Appreciate it. So I enjoy those times. I love you guys. Uh, we've been talking about church family uh, this month. And if you ever wanted to catch up on sermons because you're like, man, you know what I need to do more is listen to Sam preach more. Uh, if you wanted to catch up on those, you can catch it on the podcast, on any of the platforms, the, the MTN Church. Uh, or uh, we have uh, each of our services or sermons, I should say, uh, a week delayed. And we're probably going to be streaming it here soon. But that's 100% just resource for you uh, in terms of the education and encouragement in your journey with the Lord and the Word. Uh, that's our passion. That's definitely my passion. I love, love, love to preach. I love the Word of God, and I love us being able to grow in it. And I think you do too. That's why you're here each week uh, to love Jesus, to grow in Jesus, to love one another. And so let's do this. Let's dig into the Word today. Uh, and we're going to be in Ephesians 6, uh, 10. And we're going to be talking about the armor of God. Ephesians 6.10, we're going to be in the armor of God, and uh, we're going to be talking about it, though, from the angle of church family. So when you think about church family, there's a lot to consider in terms of community interactions, relationships, uh, different types of builds, Ephesians 4, fivefold ministry, and uh, different design of each person, different interests, passions, direction, goals, ambitions, reconciliation paths, and all that stuff. There's a lot to consider about church family. Uh, but one of the elements to uh, be mindful of uh, is the spiritual reality that we experience as a church family. Uh, and not only just as a church family, but as a family, whatever your blood family is, mom, dad, kids, and such, uh, you experience a spiritual dynamic as well as an emotional one, uh, as well as a relational one. So being mindful of that, being biblically literate on what that means is going to be critical for us to being able to navigate uh, with the Lord, what he's doing in our life, uh, what he's upending, what he's establishing. So we're going to be in Ephesians 6.10 to learn what this looks like to have a spiritual intelligence with God in the church family. So finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Okay, so it's the armor of God. That's the first point here. It's the armor of God, which means that you and I need to reflect. Do we have the armor of God on, or have we learned to, through our lives, put on different armor? That would be flesh armor. That would be perhaps even demonic armor, uh, any nature or characteristic of the devil. You know, he's a liar. He's a destroyer. Uh, he wants us not to forgive. He wants us to hold on to bitterness, etc., etc. So you and I, we can sometimes pick up patterns or armor that isn't God's armor, but that is humanity's armor. So we've got to recognize that. We've got to recognize when we picked up that armor or if we're wearing that armor so that we could begin to exchange our armor, our means of protection for God's armor and God's means of protection. They are going to be different than human ambition and selfish motivation. God's armor is going to be different than human tendencies. So we've got to become aware of what armor we have that is not of God and what weapons we hold that are not of God. 
Sweet. Awesome. Okay, so we have to become aware of this because this is the transformation process. And you're, un, you're not inclined to put on the breastplate of righteousness if you have your own version of armor that protects your chest. So you and I have to become aware of this. We have to go, God, look inside. Just check this out with me, God. What am I, what am I utilizing as a protection method that I need to exchange in relationship with you? <clears throat> and so when we see this and when we recognize this, that it's the armor of God, we know that we need to put on the armor of God because the devil has schemes to stand against the schemes of the devil. Uh, it's not a very popular notion for us to talk about the devil or his schemes necessarily in church. You probably won't see me do a church uh, theme. You know, hey, what is Satan up to? Let's talk about it. Uh, you're probably not going to see that theme because, you know, we focus on, okay, seek ye first the kingdom of God and its righteousness and all these other things will be established. So you and I both agree that you submit to God, then you resist the devil and he flees from you. So the primary thesis for our paper, the foundation of our Christian existence is Christ-driven. And from that place of relationship with Christ, we stand firm against the schemes of the enemy. So this is important to establish. You do not earn relationship with God by defeating the enemy. You have relationship with God and then stand in relationship with God to defeat the enemy. So you and I are not earning status relationship uh, with God by defeating the devil. It does not go resist the devil, submit to God, and he'll flee from you. Submit to God first, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. So our success, our victory comes from submission to God. This is foundational. This is key. So not my life, not my way, not my will, not my armor or my weapons, but God's will, God's way, God's weapons. This is the story of my life. This is where my choice comes into play. And in verse 12, we begin to understand what's happening in a church family or in community. It goes, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against uh, the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Wow, this sounds like kind of like an epic uh, Star Wars intro to what's about to take place. This sounds like a, a, an epic story, right? Cosmic powers, principalities and powers in high places. This sounds pretty epic, and yet our lives probably don't feel as epic as that scripture sounds. Uh, oftentimes, we're not experiencing some kind of epic narrative. We're just trying not to do that sin. We're trying not to hate people, or we're trying not to do bad things, right? And so sometimes our life can be a struggle to the point that we lose track of that this is not actually a fight amongst one another, that this is actually us wrestling with principalities and powers in high places that are trying to have an effect on our life. And so you might go, well, I don't think the devil's causing me to do all these things, right? Uh, well, and so you, you might be right. It might not be the actual devil because he's not actually omniscient. He's not, he doesn't have the ability to be everywhere at once. It might not be one of his demons that's directly doing something to you because there's a limited, finite a number of them. So it might actually be something that was established a long time ago by the devil, and he doesn't even need to work on it anymore. You carry it in habit and in bondage. So, the, so Heavenly Father, the Father in heaven has these attributes and characteristics. You can see some of them listed in the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. So when you behave in a loving, peaceful, patient, kind, joy, long-suffering way, then you begin to behave in the nature of your Heavenly Father. The same can be true about the Father of lies, right? If you and I operate in the character that is the enemy's character, then what we've begun to do is have character that is fruitful of that father. So you're going to have a father. It's going to be the father in heaven or the father of lies. Something is going to be establishing your behavior patterns. It's going to either be godliness and righteousness in the character of Jesus, or it's going to be the wiles and, and the sin patterns of the world and the enemy in our lives. If you look throughout Scripture, the, the characteristics and the list of the enemy's attributes and characteristics, they're just not very exciting. They're destructive, they're demonic, they're dangerous, they're steal, kill, and destroy motivations. So when, it, when you're really talking about the enemy, it doesn't actually take a specific day where you are, in fact, inter, inter, 
interacting with the devil himself or a demon for you to be experiencing the effect and the influence of the father of lies. Sometimes even our life is experiencing leadership that has been persuaded by deception and lies and teaches us in that vein. So sometimes you have people that are actually going around being preachers of the way of lies and deceptions. Like, hey, this is how it goes. This is what it looks like. Hey, you got to fake it till you make it. You know, you just got to tough it out. You know, you can't, no one's going to be your friend around here. No one's going to love you. You got to look out for yourself. And all of a sudden, you'll see people walking around preaching the gospel of the enemy, right? And they're like, here's the good news of the enemy. You're never safe, and you have to destroy and steal from everyone in order for you to survive. And you might be young and impressionable, or you might be in a certain industry where you're like, yeah, that's totally right. I could see that for sure. And all of a sudden, what takes off right there is the fruits that come from a lie. The fruits that come from a deception. And you could take a look at your life, and you could see the patterns of behavior that have come from a simple lie. Maybe the lie is that you'll never be good enough. Maybe the lie is that you're not loved. Maybe the lie is that if you forgive, you're just going to continue to get abused. I don't know what the lie is that you believed or that the enemy pitched to you through himself or someone else. But if you and I live our life according to the lies, then we are going to have the characteristics that come from the father of lies. So when you and I are experiencing our own life or other lives around us, we must become aware that this isn't just, uh, this is not a wrestle against the flesh and blood around us, but against the principalities and powers that set out an influence on our behavior and on our cultures and communities. And this could be a really uncomfortable conversation with some people because they could be like, hey, let's have a Christian journey where we never talk about the devil, we never talk about sin. We never talk about demons. We never talk about demonic influence or any of this brokenness. Let's have a spiritual journey where the only thing that exists is butterflies and rainbows and happiness and yay and smile. Everything's okay, even if we're all on fire. So the challenge with not being in touch with the reality that this is not actually a flesh and blood battle and wrestle, but this is a spiritual principality and power wrestle the, the problem with not being aware of that is that we can unintentionally be neglectful of the real spiritual effects that are happening in someone's life. We can be completely unaware that the person's on fire. We can smile and say, hey, how you doing, brother? How you doing, sister? And they're like, I'm actually on fire. This is kind of miserable, and the devil's attacking me. And you're like, oh, that's awesome. Be blessed, brother. All right, sounds good. And then you go about your merry day, and you don't want to be, like, sullied by their sadness and their demonic struggles. And so you just go about your normal day going, well, oh, they'll figure it out at some point. Or maybe not. Maybe this is a Good Samaritan story where you are supposed to be the Good Samaritan, and they're the, they're the person that's on the side of the road, beat down, robbed from, and incapable of getting help on their own. So we must become aware, we must have the veil removed that we're not just experiencing people that are having a bad day or maybe a bad life, but we're experiencing a spiritual reality in our church family. And for us to truly function in love, for us to truly function in consideration and care for one another, we must see what this spiritual battle is. So how do you become aware? Well, I would encourage you to carry that question with God all the time. Sometimes it's important for me to say, hey, this is like the fact of the matter, right? Do this. In all situations where people are in your life, do this one thing. And then other times, the better thing to learn is like, ask God. So rather than a fact I'm going to teach you, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to try and encourage you to ask God. And then tomorrow in the different relationship you're experiencing, ask God again, hey, what's going on here? It's kind of dark. It's kind of murky. I don't know what's happening anymore or why this relationship's going like this or why this individual that I care about is continuing to experience failure like this. Hey, God, I got a lot of questions. What's causing this behavior? Has anybody witnessed behaviors in yourself or others that you didn't have answers for? Begin to ask the question, God, spiritually, what is happening here? It says, in this present darkness... Like when you're in darkness and when that's what your present is, you're like, I don't even know what's happening here, God. 
Like when I'm experiencing my kiddos, I'm not just asking, okay, what did they do and how do we need to rectify that behavior? I begin to go, okay, God, what's the, pa- oh, there's a pattern here. What's happening? What, what is spiritually taking place in their life? And it, and it doesn't have to be some kind of like spiritual, super spiritual mumbo jumbo that you don't think is effective. It could be like this. They are being paralyzed by fear. So it needs to just be more than just me being like, hey, don't be afraid, right? It needs to be a spiritual prayer and intercession I need to do with my kiddo, which is to say they're, they're being paralyzed by fear. So how do I partner in a spiritual way so that I can begin to contend with the powers and principalities that are affecting their life? It goes beyond just a kind word here or there, and it goes to really discerning and measuring spiritually what is happening with our church family. Spiritually what is happening with our family. And sometimes talking to the person is one of the best ways to discern what's happening. Sometimes we don't necessarily engage in just asking, but you can find out a lot and you could discern a lot by just asking. Hey, I've observed such and such. What's going on? Talk to me. I really care about you. What is this place? What is that and that? And then and just ask some questions. And what's crazy is a lot of times they'll tell you about their brokenness. A lot of times they'll tell you about how they're spiritually haunted. A lot of times they'll tell you about they haven't slept in weeks because they are riddled with anxiety. A lot of times they'll tell you about how they don't want to get out of bed because they're so depressed. A lot of times they'll begin to tell you about the spiritual ramifications of their life. And so from that point on, we, we begin to understand we got to actually partner with God in being clothed in his armor and putting his sword in our hands so that we can have the uh, desired effect in Christ that we want in our life. So let's unpack what those pieces of armor are. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. So don't just get good at one of them. Take up the whole armor of God. All of it. Every bit of it. Some of us go like, hey, I'm doing really good at four of them. My personality's done good at that. Uh, That fifth one's a real booger. I'll just kind of let Jimmy do that over there. He does it real good, so we'll just let him focus on that part there. No, the whole armor of God. This is our spiritual relationship with God responsibility. The whole enchilada. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Okay, so the devil has schemes, and there may be an evil day that comes your way. And having done all to stand firm, stand. Therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Okay, so we've got our first piece of clothing here, our first piece of armor, and it's the belt. And it's the belt of truth. And here's what my recommendation is to you, is that when you're reading the Bible and when you begin to study the Word, is when you look at something like, okay, belt of truth. Okay, cool, we've figured it out. First, I need to fasten the belt of truth. Okay, go into the Bible and figure out exactly what truth means. Because your version of truth and my version of truth, it may, if we're not careful and we're not reading the word closely, it may not be the same version of truth that the Bible would express. So you might feel like the truth is pretty much whatever you've been persuaded by. But that's not biblical truth. Biblical truth is not even concerned about emotional convenience. Biblical truth is eternal, it's the words of God, and it's clear, and it's Christ himself. The Bible says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. So, in fact, truth is not an expression of facts or laws, but it is Jesus himself. Isn't that cool? It's Jesus himself. So, let's make this really practical. If I'm in an argument with my wife, truth is neither what I believe necessarily or what she believes necessarily, but there is an objective Jesus truth in it. And the responsibility of both believers is to humbly search for it, is to talk to try and find it, Like the healthiest covenants and the healthiest relationships aren't looking to be proven right or to prove someone else wrong, but they're actually looking together to find a Jesus truth that is beyond their understanding. 
James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. So the goal here is not that I would be found right or that they would be found right, but that together we would find right. There's like a third party to this thing besides the two at war. And it's not a battle of flesh and blood, but it's actually a journey together to find a truth in Jesus that you couldn't have found without that relationship sandpaper. Iron sharpens iron. I am so sorry that good relationships are sharpening and like sandpaper at times, but they are. The best relationships in your life are going to make you want to pull your hair out and when you're talking about things because they're going to press in your area of weakness and they're going to have a perspective and you're going to have a perspective and the best relationships are going to cause you to go, ah! I've never done that before. I've seen someone else do it though. No, I just did. But it's going to make you go, what do I do about this? This is so irritating. It's so frustrating. Maybe if they never existed in my life, that would be better. You start fantasizing about them never existing anymore. Like, so maybe you don't kill them, but you act like they're dead. So in your life, they're pretty much dead because you never, you know. So, so the point here is, is that relationally in church family, it's not about us contending with our truth. But it's going through a process of conflict resolution to find his truth as it relates to our relationship and situation. So we both can enter into this thing with humility. Not one of us having the higher grounds than the other. We're both looking for Jesus in this. Belt of truth. Copyright Jesus. Not copyright me. Copyright Jesus. And the next part says, And having put on the breastplate of righteousness... Matthew 5, 6 says about righteousness, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Uh, and Matthew 6, says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Here's the picture. When you really begin to stem into, okay, let me study on righteousness. It says I need this flesh plate of righteousness in my life. Let me study what this looks like. How do I interact with righteousness? What do I do about righteousness? Can I get righteousness on my own? Do I have to work my way to righteousness? Is it something that comes through maturity? Is it something that comes through relationship? What is this righteousness thing? Is it just about being right, or is it something else? So right away, you begin to see scriptures point to this reality about righteousness, which it should be sought out in God. So our relationship to righteousness, is it something we understand is copyright God, and is something that we want to receive from God? This is an important foundational piece about the armor of God, the breastplate of righteousness, is that it's actually something we receive through grace, not through merit. So when you're putting on the breastplate of righteousness, you're actually attempting to put on something that wouldn't even be your armor to put on if God didn't give you the grace to be able to receive it. Righteousness is not from our own works or our own merit. It is a gift that comes from grace and faith, and it's something we receive with humility. We're going to read more on this as we go along, but it's so critical that we understand that righteousness is not about us being right all the time or being perfect, but it's about us receiving the nature of Christ every single day. And that as we grow more mature, we don't access righteousness as our own, but we continue to be codependent on God to receive righteousness. Sometimes we grow into this understanding in our life where we've strengthened so much that we can access thing without the help of whoever used to help us get that thing. And so sometimes we apply the same constitution to righteousness and to uh, different things that are in Christ. But the reality is, is no matter how mature and powerful we get as a Christian, we are always going to be reliant on the grace of God to receive righteousness. We're always going to be reliant on the blood of Jesus to redeem our nature and cultivate and, 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 
and, uh, and transform us into his image. We're not going to be able to separate out and have an autonomous Christian relationship without Christ. So the goal should not be independence from Christ by any means. The goal is actually to grow more aware of how dependent we truly are and to stop trying to be independently competent. Got to stop trying to do that. It's the armor of God. It's the armor of God. It's His. And at no point does it become the armor of me. Fifteen says, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. The gospel is the good news of Jesus. It's what, it, it's what his life means to us. He died, rose from the dead. He's the propitiation for our sins. In him we have redemption through his blood. So the story of Jesus, it, it can induce peace in your life if you truly embrace it. It means that your redemption is not through your effort. It means that your redemption is actually not contingent on you having not done a really bad sin in your past. So in him we have redemption through his blood, which means that the the, the greatest sin you've ever done, God's grace is greater than that. For when sin abounds, grace abounds that much more. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. When we recognize how grace is released in our life, we actually stop striving to prove our worth apart from the redemption of his blood. We are all, we are all profoundly failing to be the standard of God without God. And I do love this about our relationship with Christ. We're all losers together. I like it. Like all of us. All of us have lost together, and there is not one of us that is exempt from this reality. You know, the Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we can all start from this place of understanding that without the grace of God, I have in fact failed. So have you, so have I. We're all losers. You know, this is actually one of the great revelations that helped me get over competitiveness, the need to win to sustain my worth. Does anybody need to win to feel good about themselves? I, I mean, I used to. Maybe still sometimes it sneaks in there. The amens? I got some amens. And some people didn't raise their hand because they don't want to lose that, you know. They... This, is one of the great, this is one of the great things that helped me get over it is that I realized that victory in Jesus was it was so critical that I, I had to admit defeat. I had to admit that I was incapable of overcoming sin and its consequence without Jesus. I've never felt like more of a loser in my life. I've never felt weaker. I've never felt more incompetent and incapable than when I recognized that. And at the same time, I've never felt more grateful. I've never felt more grateful that God gave me his grace. I've never felt more grateful of this relationship with God. You know, the next part says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And in Romans 3.21 through 25, it starts to talk about righteousness and faith. And it says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. So the righteousness of God is not achieved through Dotting, dotting your I's and crossing your T's of all the rules and achieving all of those legislations and all of those protocols. But in fact, the righteousness of God happens in a completely different way. It's manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith. Through faith. Like if I could wave a really big flag, it'd be like, hey guys, it's through faith. The righteousness of God is through faith, not works, but through faith, which is wildly different than most 
worldly standards we experience. Championships, most of them are won through works. Promotions, most of them are won through works. Most of the good rewards we'll get here on earth are done through a measurement of your works. But you cannot apply that to Jesus. You cannot apply that to your Christianity. You're going to be a miserable Christian. You're going to be a miserable Christian. And you're going to be miserable to other people too. Because you're going to apply the same law-driven Christian reality you live by to others. And when others try and make you a good Christian through the law, has anybody ever enjoyed that? Has anybody ever enjoyed somebody trying to make you a better Christian through policing you? Through condemning you when they find you at fault? Nope. Nope. It only feels good coming from the person. So, I, you know, if I live condemned, I feel good condemning other people. Because misery needs company. So if I'm going to live condemned, I'm going to want to drag everybody into condemnation with me. Because if I have to live condemned, so do you. You're not better than me. So if I have to experience this miserable Christian life, so do you. It's through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift. As a gift. It's a gift. How fun are gifts? I love giving them. I used to not be so comfortable getting really generous ones and big ones. And then I realized, like, wait a second. I actually have to learn to receive gifts because if I can't even receive a gift from a person, can I really receive God's gift of justification through faith? Can I really receive that? Because that's the most generous gift you'll ever get. No, brother, I can never accept that. Sure you can. Sure you can. Somebody tries to give you a car, say thank you. Say thank you. Because look, if you can't even accept a car and that generosity, you got no shot at being able to truly accept God's grace and justification. No chance. You'll be like, mm, I can accept it for these 19 sins and these 19 patterns, but that one pattern in my life, nope, I need to condemn myself. Like, take a look. Your most shameful sins, take a close look. You might be condemning yourself currently. And you might be permitting the enemy to throw darts of accusation at you, and you go, yep, I deserve it. Keep skewering me with those darts, those flaming darts. Yep, I'm on fire, but guess what? I deserve it. You know what, enemy? You're so right. He called, he's the accuser of the brethren. So when you begin to have faith in God, you can dispel, you can block those darts, and you can extinguish those fiery darts of the enemy because faith is your great shield. Not logic, not argument, not any debate methodology you could ever experience, not your performance, not your law, not your good looks, none of those things are going to be able to put out the fiery darts of the enemy's accusation in your life. Because here's what the enemy does. He's so, so clever. He uses a real fact about you. And the deception typically, typically comes in the conclusion about that fact. So you'll point to a real sin and be like, look, boom. You did this. And you'll be like, I did do that. You're right. And then he'll go, you're not loved. You did this, thus you're not loved. And, you, and, if, and if you're not aware, and if you're not rooted in the shield of faith isn't in front of you, you'll go, man, that makes a whole lot of sense to me. Hey, you did this, thus you'll never amount to anything. You did this, thus you're not loved. If you really told them what you've done in your life, they wouldn't actually love you. Jesus wouldn't actually love you. Like, if you really were honest about this thing, and you begin to hear the enemy speak facts to you, but lie in the conclusion about the facts. Because here's the fact of the matter, is Jesus might not even have a different perspective about the sin you've committed. He's just going to have a different conclusion. So the enemy is going to condemn you for the sin. Jesus is going to redeem you in that place. In him we have redemption through his blood. His blood accounts for the sin. It accounts for it. 
So he's not like, oh, no, the enemy said that thing about you? I didn't know that. I now can't love you. That was news to me. He threw that accusation out there, and I was unaware. I wish somebody would have told me, in fact, because then I would not have died for you, right? Like, this is insanity. We would never hear God talk like this. He was aware. He took into account your sin. He bore it on the cross. He is not ignorant to our failure, our lapses, our inabilities. He is keenly aware. It's actually why God sent his son to die for our sins. He loved us. And he knew we needed a way to freedom and redemption. So he sent his son. He sent his son. So how do we put out accusation from the enemy? It's not through logic. It's not through mental rigors. It's not through getting better than the thing he's accusing you of. It's through faith you are justified. It's through this place. You have faith in God's grace. You're justified, and it's a gift. It's a gift. I think if we simply got better at receiving God's grace as a gift, we would be able to experience more transformation in ourselves and more partnership and transformation in others. Because we begin to be persuaded by what truly changes us. And what truly changes us is not condemnation. It's not fear. It's not regret. It's not shame. And it's not guilt. These things don't change us. This is how you can know you're wrong and not change. Because an awareness of guilt doesn't change your behavior. Like if I asked you, hey, what's wrong with you? You'd probably quickly be able to write down five things. You'd be like, oh, I got you. Where do I turn it in? You would know. You would know, like, your weaknesses. You would know, like, if you've got a sin pattern, where does it show up? What's your addictive tendencies? You would know your stuff. You're like, I lie when I'm scared. I fight back when I'm scared or whatever it may be. I retaliate. I love revenge. You know, whatever it is for you. (laughs) Whatever pie you love, you know. You would know it, though. You would know it. So an awareness and a knowledge of your shortcoming, it doesn't remedy the situation. So what does? Okay, well, let's figure this out. Because the next part here is, and take the helmet of salvation. And in Philippians 2, 12 through 13, it says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Okay, so there's some things we need to understand about what this means. One, salvation is not just a prayer you said at some point in church. God, come into my heart, forgive me of my sins. How many of you said that salvation prayer? Okay, cool. Did you, for everyone that didn't raise your hands, did you want to say it now? No, I know. You already knew. So, so we, it's not just a prayer, and it's actually you put on this helmet. It's armor. It's a process. You work it out through fear and trembling. Okay, so every day I'm actually working out my salvation. I'm actually in a process of this thing because salvation is not just I'm going to heaven. I'm saved from hell. It's not just that. It is that, but it's not just that. It's also when you're working out your salvation, you are being transformed and you are being saved from your sinful tendencies. You're being saved from bondage. You're being saved from bitterness. You're being saved from shackles. You're being saved from your old man. It's salvation of corrupt character. It's salvation from sinful tendencies. So when you're working out your salvation with the Lord, what actually causes transformation is God does the work in you. And this is where most of us start to strive, is we start to try and do the work for God. And this is one of the most wild and challenging realities to settle into, is that you don't author yourself in righteousness. God does. And this takes a lot of faith, because that's as nebulous as you get. Hey, let God work it out in you. You're like, what does that mean? Seriously, what does it mean? Does it mean... I close my eyes, and I go like this. Okay, God. Like, does this, is this what it means? That I close my eyes and do this? Or is it that, does it mean that I pray like my grandma prayed? 
Does it mean I worship like somebody else in the room worships? Does it mean I go to nine Bible studies a week? One every day of the week and two for those really tough days. Does it mean that I listen to 25 hours of sermons from all of the most popular and amazing voices around the nation? Like, what does it really mean to have God do a work in you? We used to do this thing when I was first really on fire for Jesus. We loved soaking sessions. You guys ever been in a soaking session? It's where you start out praying on your face and you fall asleep. But the cool thing is, is no one knows when you're awake or asleep. You just got to move every five minutes or so. Even if it's just stirring to get a better position, you know? I mean, we would soak, right? And the idea was that you soak in the thing, and you soak in the thing, and that causes the transformation. But, but in all of my time studying the Word, and all my time in church, is anybody that thinks that there's a methodology that is always going to work about their approach to God working it out in them, like, hey, when I need God to work it out in me, I soak for three weeks, that might work in one season, but in the next season, you're going to be soaking for a really long time and not changing because it's not about the methodology. It's really not. And when you and I become religious about this thing and we think it's about the fact that we stood in worship like this, you know what I mean, or on our knees. Like I've had some powerful encounter seasons where I was on my knees in every worship time, just constantly on my knees and on my face before the Lord. And it was perfect in that season. And then I've had other seasons where in partnership with God, like I was dancing all of the time in worship. And just like dancing and dancing and dancing. But in the Bible it talks about there's a time to weep, there's a time to mourn, there's a time to have joy, there's a time, there's a specific approach in relationship with God for each season. So we can't try and have God work and transform us through some kind of religious methodology that we did yesterday. We've got to allow God to put on this whole armor and transform our behavior and invite us to whatever it is that he's doing in us in that time. Is it a time to dance? Is it a time to, to contend with Pharaoh? Is it a time to leave Egypt? Is it a time to leave the desert and go into the promised land? What is the time? What is the season? What is the spiritual reality that you are experiencing? Become aware of it. Have your eyes open to it. And stop doing flesh and blood stuff thinking that's going to create godliness. So we put on this helmet of salvation. The last one is in the sword of the Spirit. And in Romans 8, 1 through 2, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit, capital S, of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. This is not a mind-driven, logic-driven reality. This is a Spirit-led journey. This is about us following God Period. Period. Spirit-led. Hey, look, your pastor can help. Your mentor can help. Your friend can help. But they cannot lead you the way God is supposed to lead you. Here's the advantage that the Holy Spirit has that I'll never have. I don't live inside you. I'll never, know him. I'll never know you as well as he knows you. He knows your cares before you even say them out loud. I miss people's needs all the time. I'm like nearly a pro at it. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us, knows us perfectly, loves us perfectly. So this is the armor of God. This is partnership with God. Allow my words to be provoking and encouraging for you to partner with actual God. Not someone in relationship with God. Move beyond that. Move beyond that. If you're getting your God intimacy through someone else, move beyond that. Bride, bridegroom. This is not uh, bride, groom, people on the outside watching this intimacy. You're his bride. You specifically. Your life. This putting on of armor, it's intimate. It's vulnerable. As you're putting down your own swords, your own weapons of warfare, 
You're putting down your own armors and your own shields and your own protections. You're putting all those things down and you're saying, I'm going to exchange all these weapons and all these armors and I'm going to put on yours, God. So instead of a shield of deafness and unwillingness to listen to anyone, I'm going to, put it, I'm going to, I'm going to grab the shield of faith. I'm going to exchange it. Instead of the sword of offensiveness to keep away everyone who's unsafe, I'm going to pick up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You know, instead of, instead of the shoes, uh, instead of the shoes of running and fight or flight, I'm actually going to put on the shoes of peace. So today, here's my encouragement. Today, first and foremost, I'm going to encourage you to, one, move away from contending with flesh and blood. This is a real paradigm shift. This is a real paradigm shift, and this is going to be my invite to you today. If you're in that place where you are a pro and you major in contending with flesh and blood, my invite today for you is to leave that paradigm. It's to leave that gridlocked warfare zone. Leave it and begin to engage in spiritual warfare in your life, discerning and recognizing where you're at, discerning and recognizing what God's doing, and discerning and recognizing what he's doing in others. That's the first thing I'm going to invite you to today, is to leave the war zone with flesh and blood. The second thing I'm going to do is to ask you to ask God if you're missing any armor. Ask him. Just straight up ask him. Talk to him about it. Ask him for it. Ask him for grace. Ask him for impartation. You know, I saw God releasing a lot of grace in our life. When it comes to this growth stuff and transformation, if we're not doing it through this prism of faith and grace, it's going to be striving, it's going to be judgmental, it's going to be really rough. I want to pray with you today to finish this time. So if you could bow your heads and close your eyes. Based on what I talked about, whether you recognize that you need to leave the war zone with flesh and blood, or you recognize and want to have a conversation and a prayer with God about the armor you have on, about the swords you hold in your hand, or the weapons you hold in your hand. So for the first, for the first group of us, God, I ask you to lead us out of this war zone. God, I pray that you would affect our hearts. Help us forgive. Help us heal. But we're committed to leaving this war zone. I need your help, Jesus. It's okay to admit that you need Jesus' help in this way. And if you need Jesus' help with this, I just want you to lay your hand on your heart and say, Jesus, please help me. Please help me. I, I forgive. But heal my heart. Heal my woundedness. Heal my stuff of people, Lord. I, I choose to focus on you. I choose to seek you and your righteousness. I trust you, God. I trust you, God. Hmm. For the second thing I want to pray with you guys on. God, it's a vulnerable thing for us to ask what we're missing, what we're lacking starts to have us believe in that we're not enough, we're not worthy, we're not loved. But God, we trust you with this question. We trust you with this authorship in our life. So God, where is the armor missing? Is it in truth? Is it my approach to righteousness? Is it in my peace? I pray that you would supply according to your riches and according to your glory. And God, I pray that you would pour out grace on this family. Yeah, pour out grace on this family. I believe for some of you in this room, like you're going uh, you're gonna to actually receive grace today in a way that you haven't received grace in a long time. You've been condemning yourself. If that's you, I just want you to put your hands out and just begin to receive God's grace. Wow, God, release your grace. 
poured out in our lives, God. It's a gift. It's a gift. I think some of these people, some, some of us in this room, we're going to leave the courtroom where we've been on trial for quite some time. It's okay to stop condemning yourself. It's okay to leave the courtroom where the enemies put you on trial for a long time. So God, release grace in this family. Release grace. For those that are finding themselves in addiction, God, I pray that you would release grace. She would release grace in their life, God. That freedom wouldn't come through the doorway of our history, God, but that it would come through you releasing grace in our life. Grace, 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 grace. And God, we give grace in this church family. Loads and loads of grace. Loads and loads of it, God. I encourage you to spend some time with the Lord in these places. And then once you're done spending time with the Lord in those places, I encourage you to pray with one another. Release grace. Lay hands on some folks. Pray for them. Pray that God will release grace in their life. God, we want to put on your whole armor. We're partnering with you in this place. It's your armor. We really love you. We like your clothes. We like your armor. We like your sword. We want those. We love you. So spend some time with Jesus. Spend some time releasing grace into each other's life. This place of prayer. Love you. Thank you for listening to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is located in Las Vegas, Nevada, with services happening every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. If you'd like to know more about The Mountain Church, please visit us at themtnchurch.com or watch one of our services on YouTube. Again, thank you for tuning in.